Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down, and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. I've already baited you with it, but that's right. We are in the book of James. Go ahead and turn to chapter one. That's right. Well, can you believe that? What a concept. Uh, James chapter one. Let's go ahead and let's grab our context before we get started there. And easy stuff. Yeah, yeah. James chapter one. Chapter one. Yeah, it's a neat concept we're working on here. James chapter one. And uh, let's grab the context. Of course, now we're in the, the second acid test, of course, with temptation. Okay, how do you pass the test there? And uh, we're going to grab the context there in uh, verse 13. And uh, when you get there, say moo. Moo, got a couple moves, we're good to go. And here's what James says. He says, now, uh, when tempted, uh, notice it's not uh, if, it's what? When, it's going to happen. In fact, it's going to happen and not stop happening until we get to heaven. Okay, just uh, deal with it, so to speak. I said, nobody should say, he said, when that happens, God is tempting me. He says, come on, are you kidding me? For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Verse 16, what's he say? Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth, a different kind of birth, a good birth this time, through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. There's a lot going on in that passage, but we're not quite there yet. Again, in our context with our study, we're seeing that James most likely was, again, the first New Testament book. Okay, and what we're seeing, there's a purpose in that. As we can deduce. And that purpose is an acid test. The early church is finally going out into the world. And what Satan would love to do is to pollute the church with false fake Christians. So that when they go out into the world to tell people quote unquote about Jesus. They get a wrong Jesus, a false Jesus and a false gospel. Okay. Good thing that doesn't happen today. It does, Pastor Billy. That's right, Mike. It really does. Thanks for paying attention. Uh, is the tongue-in-cheek sarcasm that's going on there. Uh, yeah, it really does today. So it's a very applicable book for today. It's an acid test. Who's real? Who's fake? And this is what the book of James, I really believe, 
is all about. Because James thwarts that purpose and he throws out an acid test to the church and he says, "Uh uh-uh, you can tell. You can tell, by and large. Okay, only God knows the heart, but you can tell some signs when somebody's a fake Christian. All right, the first acid test we saw for many weeks was the acid uh, test of the trials. How do you handle your trials? If you walk away from Jesus in your trials, become an atheist or whatever, the scripture is very clear, you weren't saved in the first place. Okay, you didn't lose your salvation, you never had it in the first place. God keeps his own. The second acid test we're on now is not just how do you handle trials, but how do you handle this thing? It's called temptation, okay? And what we've been seeing there for the last several weeks is, listen, nobody, James is very emphatic in this text, nobody, don't let anybody, nobody on planet Earth, how dare you say that God is tempting me? And we dealt with a couple of weeks. That's unfortunately what mankind does. The first sin after the first sin was what? Blame, Right? Trying to blame other people. And James says, in fact, it'll get so bad that they'll actually say that God made me do it. Right? And we dealt with that acid uh, test, okay? And, uh, and uh, what we saw is that there's two different Greek words there for test, okay, and tempt. And uh, God will test. The scripture is clear. In fact, that's what the theme of this book is. It's a what? Acid test. So God will test, okay, but he will not tempt. Okay, the devil does that. The world does that. The old man we saw last week will do that, but God doesn't do that. And the reason why he says absolutely don't let anybody do that is because that's blasphemy. God is holy. He is holy. He is holy. He doesn't tempt anybody. He doesn't solicit somebody to do evil. That would make God evil, but that strikes at the heart of his character. He said, are you crazy? No way. He can't do that. Okay. Now testing. Now, uh, how many guys were ever tested in school? Okay. The rest of you didn't raise your hands. Uh, Apparently you slept through each test and... Uh, but yeah, you get tested at school. Now, was your teacher evil because she or he gave you a test? Now, we always did think that, right? But testing in itself is not evil. It's to see where you're at. It's to see your growth process. It's to help you, right? That's what is used of God. He will test us, but he doesn't tempt us. And that's what James says. Don't ever say that. Are you kidding me? Now, if you were here last week, James was very emphatic. All right, where is the biggest problem coming from? And we broke down our diagram. We saw we got three sinful inputs that Christians have to deal with every single day. That we are going to be tempted. It isn't God, but here's where it's coming from. That's the world, the flesh, which we saw was the old Jew, the old man, the sin nature, some translations say. Okay. And of course, uh, the devil. Okay. is what we saw there. And, and again, encapsulate the phrase is we have found the enemy and it is us okay the old jew is out there to get you that's what we saw last week if you were here james uses a hunting term a fishing term and a birthing term to let us know how serious you need to take this certainly don't escape the issue and try to blame others and certainly don't blame god let no one do that he says okay but you need to own up to it and you need to own up to it that you the old jew and i keep belaboring that point because that's not us anymore the real you loves jesus the real you wants to please jesus the real you the spirit you the one who's now come alive okay that's the real you but the old you the ghost voice if you will is still out there to get you he's hunting you down he's baiting you with sin and the whole point is to give birth to sin okay he wants you to conceive sinfully and give birth to a Baby monster. Remember that one? We saw that analogy last week. Well, ah, ah, it's not to get you, okay? And what that told us is, listen, don't blame and then don't take this casually. And that's what we saw last week. Listen, we'll take it serious. Oh, yeah, the world's sinful and it's out there to get you. And you better pay attention. Tempting, tempting, right? Oh, certainly spiritual warfare. And that's real. And demons. And that's real, okay? Yeah. But for some reason, when it talks about the flesh or the sin nature, the old you, oh, yeah, yeah, I got a, I got a sin nature. 
And James, as we saw, man, was very emphatic. This is serious stuff. This guy is out to get you. He uses that with the terms, okay? And the point is this, James is saying, okay? He says here now in this uh, verse 16, and I see 16, verse 16, if you will, is a tie-in verse, okay? If you will. It's just simple right there. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, okay? I think what James is doing is he's trying to get us uh, to be uh, not deceived about two things. Okay, and uh, the, first of all, the Greek word there for uh, deceived is planao, planao, and it means to lead astray, to lead away from the right way, to go astray, to fall away from the truth. In fact, in the Greek, it's not just don't be deceived, it's stop being deceived. It's literally what it is with the verb form. So that means that something was going on, something was, they were going down this route. They were being deceived, and he says, stop it. Not just don't, as if it's a potentiality in the future. Stop it right now. Don't be deceived, okay? And I see him uh, pointing us to two things, okay? I think it draws us back, first of all, to last week's discussion in verse 15. Don't be deceived. We just finished verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, right? So to me, the first half of this, of 16, don't be deceived, is pulling us back to verse 15. And he says, take this serious. Don't be deceived. This is really going on. Every day, the old you is out to get you and to get you to become sinfully pregnant and destroy your walk with Jesus. Don't be deceived about that. Don't fall away from this truth. Take it serious. The second half, I think that he's, it's a tie-in verse, I believe, is the second thing he doesn't want us to be deceived is, listen, how sin, a sinful life as a Christian, is a bad advertisement of God's future. And we're not there yet, but just to give you a little teaser, now let's see where verse 16 after goes. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Why? Because every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father, the heavenly lights, who does not change like uh, shifting shadows, he chose us to give birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits that he created. That's a fantastic uh, verse that's going on there. And again, we probably won't get to it, Lord willing, for a couple of weeks. But just a little in a nutshell, in essence, what he's saying, the second deceit that he's warning us about is that a continuing sinful life for a Christian, because Christians can still sin, right? Now, as we saw before, if you could give a rip about sin, you, you're complacent about sin, you don't struggle against sin, and you're one of those people that's just got this attitude of what's called cheap grace or who cares, God will forgive me, there's no struggle, no desire to turn from it, red flag, red flag, you're not passing the acid test, maybe you're fake. Because how can you be a born-again Christian and not be concerned about sin? I'm not saying don't sin, I'm saying not be concerned about it. No conviction, no, I don't care, who cares, whatever, I'll do whatever I want. God saved me back when I was five years old. And, right? And you know they're going south when they start talking like they're from the south. Bobby got that, praise God. He's here on the front row tonight, or this morning, whenever this is. Uh, but anyway, so that's what is going on there, okay? And, and so, but, so when you live a, a sinful life as a Christian continually, listen, you're striking at the heart of salvation. That's what he's saying. He says, are you kidding me? What's all about self? What does somebody need to acknowledge and deal with before they come to the cross of Christ? I am a sinner. I am in trouble. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ah, I cast myself on the mercy of Jesus. You have to deal with sin if you're going to get saved. And then trust Jesus and forgive you for that. So it strikes at the heart of salvation. The second thing, and we, again, we'll get into this in greater detail later. He says first fruits. 
We're a kind of first fruits. And if you understand what the first fruits are, that's the best. Okay? And, and as Christians, God, it was, it was the, the first fruits of the, the, of the first part, part of the crop that they were supposed to give to God. Okay? And, but the, the bigger one was coming later. But they're supposed to give God the first part of that. Okay? And so in the context here as Christians, okay? How many of you guys, you woke up this morning and there was grapes hanging off your arm? Right? And then you looked at your arm and all of a sudden this, uh, where do, how did that get there? Uh, an ear of corn is coming out of my armpit, right? Isn't that awesome? You know what I'm saying? And he's trying to put your slacks on. It's like, where did all these oranges come from? So obviously, first fruits, he's talking about something not absolutely uh, uh, physical. It's spiritual in nature, right? And this is what he's saying. He says, we're the kind of first fruits. Let me break it down for you. And we got to move on. Uh, is basically, as Christians, we're the first fruits. We are a taste of the greater future to come. That when people look at us, the first fruits of God's ultimate plan, they should see in us what that ultimate plan is going to be. And that ultimate plan is, yes, we're saved now, but we're still on the cursed version of the earth. But there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to set up his earthly millennial reign and the earth is going to get renovated back to Garden of Eden-like conditions. And then even after that, in the final rebellion, God's going to have a new heaven and a new earth. There's no such thing as sin. It's all over with. It's only perfect all the time. And so when, Christian, when people see us, they go, wow, I can't wait to get to that point where you guys are always loving God, you're always loving each other, there is no such thing as sin, it's going to be a fantastic future. But if we live a life of sin, and we blame others, and we blame God, and we don't take it serious, that's a false advertisement of what God has in store. Do you see what he's saying there? Okay, but we're not there yet. We've got to deal with the first issue, is that is uh, back to 15, that we need to take this sin issue seriously. Don't be deceived, okay? There is something inside of you, as we saw last week, the old you, that is out to get you. And I think when James says, Here's, it's out to get you, it's going to give birth to death, don't mess with it, don't play with it, that's what he's saying. Don't be deceived. This thing is serious, don't play with it, don't kid yourself, just get rid of the thing. Deal with the source. And it reminds me of this story. There was an old deacon who frequently led the prayer meetings at this church, and he would often conclude his petition with the words, Oh, Lord, clean all the cobwebs out of my life. Well, finally, the man who lived next door to him couldn't stand it any longer because he knew what he was during the week. He was a self-seeking, carnal Christian guy, whatever. And so one Wednesday night, another prayer meeting, when the old fellow ended in his usual manner, the deacon, Oh, Lord, clean all the cobwebs out of my life. And his neighbor couldn't take it anymore, so he jumped to his feet and he shouted, Don't do it, Lord! Don't do it! Make him kill the spider! Let it sink in, because there's a reason for it. See, this is what I think, in a nutshell, James is calling us back to. Hey, Christian, don't, don't be deceived. Okay, we're supposed to be holy, not just joyful advertisements for Jesus. That was the first acid test, even in trials. We're supposed to be a holy advertisement for Jesus. Don't be deceived. And if you're going to be that holy, not just joyful, but that holy advertisement for Jesus, then listen, stop dealing with just the cobwebs. You need to get to the thing that's creating the cobwebs in the first place. Kill the spider, right? And, but unfortunately, that's what we do, isn't it? It's like we, we don't really get down deep into temptation and how this works and the interplay that's going on here. And we're always just asking for forgiveness instead of I want, and, and we need to, don't misunderstand me. But I want to know, all right, how do I have victory? 
Don't be deceived. Don't, don't, don't just get to the point where all you do in your Christian life is deal with cobwebs, cobwebs, cobwebs. Get back and find out and do your homework. Search the scriptures and find out how to kill the spider. Wouldn't that be better? Don't you think we'd have a better track record as far as a holy advertisement to God? And so that's what we're going to do. I want to take us through uh, so that we aren't deceived. So we're not led astray. We don't wander from the truth. And so we can get to the point where hopefully we're killing the spider. Okay, as a Christian, by and large, instead of just dealing with the cobwebs. And so I just want to give you some highlights of uh, the issue of temptation. I want to break it down for you. And I'll never forget, man, way back in the days when I was studying this, I thought, I, it was so crazy, I thought, for sure, I'm going to pull down from all my library, my audio tapes, books, you name it, whatever, and I'm going to pull down so many resources that's going to help aid in this adventure to really go down deep and Find out this process, what's going on. How does this spider work? How does he do it? When, where, how? I want to I know, know this thing like the back of my hand so I can experience more victory instead of just dealing with cobwebs. I started pulling stuff down and there was hardly anything. And then it dawned on me, I said, this is nuts. Can you believe this? I mean, we'll talk about all kinds of things in Christendom, right? But the one thing that we have to deal with, the battle against temptation, okay, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day that we're here on planet Earth currently, okay, we don't ever really get down into it. We'll talk about, oh, yeah, you got to stay away from temptation, whatever, but we don't get down into the nuts and bolts in it. And so I was amazed at that, so I want to break it down for you. And the first thing I want to break it down for you so we can kill the spider. Turn to somebody and say, kill the spider. But, um, dude, don't stomp your foot. That was, I'm not talking about that spider. We're spiritual again, remember? If you don't have oranges on you, well, there's no corn cob there. You, all right, but, anyway, so, uh, but anyway, so the first thing I want to deal with is I wear... Where, I just want to break it down to you. Where does temptation come from? Now, if you're here last week, this is why I want to put this up here again. As uh, before we got saved, we're a spirit, soul, and a body. Uh, the body now has a sin nature because of the fall of mankind. But spiritually, we're dead in our transgressions, Paul talks about in Ephesians. So we're cut off, if you will, uh, from God, who is spirit. And that's why we're separated from him. Unless something changes, we're doomed straight to hell. Okay, But after you get saved, you become spiritually alive. And that's why all of a sudden you have this desire for Bible study and prayer and worship through song and fellowship and serving and witnessing. And that feeds that spirit part of you and that new you who loves Jesus. That's what's going on there. But the, and you still have a soul, which is your mind, your will and emotions, but you still have this body of sin. So that's what Paul says last week. We saw Galatians chapter five. There's a war going on between you. OK, the spirit, you, the new you, the real you. Okay, is telling you to do these godly things and stay away and here's what you need to do. And, but then the old you is still there. You don't have to obey it, but he's still there and he's still, oh no, no, do this, do this. And this is where your temptation is coming from. This is who's hunting you down. This is who's fishing you uh, with lures to, to get you to sin and give birth to sin. But it's not just the old you, it's the world and it is spiritual warfare. And I like what one theologian said, Christians are the only people who not only have to fight a battle, we have to fight a battle continuously, nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on three fronts, all at the same time. That's serious stuff. And so you would think if we are immersed in that reality, we would become masters of the battle plan. And this is what blew me away in my initial research. It's like hardly anybody really got down to the nuts and bolts of it. I want to know how this thing works. So this is where it comes from. Okay, these suggestions, these temptations, it's our wicked world system, it's our old Jew, and it certainly is spiritual warfare, and they try to come into you to tempt you. Okay, the second thing is, all right, well, how does it work? That's where it's all coming from, but how does it work? Okay, well, let me break down verse 15 
with our soul. Okay, I'm going to go down a little bit deep here. Verse 15 says, Then after desire has conceived. Well, how does that happen? He's talking about the sinful, evil desires. After desire has conceived. Well, how does that happen? It happens right here in your mind. The process of being tempted, how does it work? It starts in your mind. You ever have, you're waking up in the day and you're having a great time with Jesus. You just cracked open the word, had an awesome time in prayer. Next thing you know, something enters into your what? Your mind. That's where it starts. How does this work? It comes into your mind, your thought life. This is why it's important uh, to bring every thought captive in obedience to Christ. If something comes into your mind, whether it's from the world, the flesh, or the devil, and it's not pointing you towards Christ, shut it off. We'll get to that in a second, how it enters the mind. The second thing he says there, then after desire is conceived, so that's your mind, it gives birth to sin. He says there in verse 15. Well, how does that work? Well, as you pay attention to your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, it enters into your mind through a thought, and then you make a choice on that. That's your will. You made a decision, and you chose at that point, whether you realize it or not, this is how it all works, folks. Break it down. You chose to either continue to think that thought, to play with that thought, to entertain that thought, or you chose to turn away from it and shut it off. And yes, you can shut it off. Okay? So now, the problem is, if you don't shut it off, you make a decision on that thought, okay? Then it goes into the next thing in verse 15. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And so that's when it's conceived and it gives birth. Now, that's your emotions. Now, see, that's part of the seduction. If we don't pay attention to what goes into our brain and we just only are a slave to our emotions, we uh, do what the world says to do. If it feels good, do it. And so you're not even paying attention to what's going on in your brain. Next thing you know, you get this idea to uh, get you to feel good. Well, that'll make me feel good or that feels good. And, and so you right. And so instead of reacting this way, then all of a sudden you sin. And the scripture says, hey, sin is fun for a season. But then what happens? Then your initial emotional high that you were getting from that, payday comes. As you're a born-again Christian, you feel convicted. God convicts you. You feel horrible. You feel guilty. It's like, right? And I remember, man, early on as a Christian, it always seems like I was always dealing with temptation down here. The after effect. And, and, and praise God for 1 John 1, 9. If we are faithful... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess them. How many have camped your Christian life on that verse? And it's a great verse. It's very comforting, right? But see, then I'll go, wait a second. I'm tired of just dealing with the after effects. How did, that, how did I get there? I mean, I woke up the day not going, I can't wait to sin. Are you kidding me? I, you, my routine is I have time with the Lord. It's great. Things are awesome. And then next thing you know, it's later that day or later that night. How did I end up like this? I'm telling you, you will only... See, that's, this is cobwebs. And James says, don't be deceived. Understand how the process works. If you don't want to just be stuck in dealing with cobwebs, you need to become a master at step one. Pay attention to what goes through your brain. Then that's where you can kill the spider. You make a decision, no, you're dead. Dead spider. Bad spider. Dead spider. Right? Instead of dealing with the cobwebs. So the first step in experiencing victory over temptation, you need to understand, you better be paying attention to what goes through your mind. Now, you know the biggest problem we have with that? We're lazy with our minds. Right? We are lazy with our minds. And we're used to letting our mind go, la, 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 do whatever it wants to do, think whatever it wants to do, and uh, we pay the consequences for it. 
So you need to pay attention to what goes on there, which leads us to the next one. All right, then that's that. Well, well, how does it enter then? That's how it works. But how does it, let's break it down a step even more specific. How does it enter into our mind? Okay, well, it does it in two ways. The first one is in your eyes. The second is in your ears. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus talks about this. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, let's take a look at what Jesus is talking about. The importance of the eyes. What you allow in with your eyes. Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Verse 22 and 23. When you get there, say move. Got a couple moves. All right. Uh, He's talking about the eye. He says the eye is the what? Lamp. So it illuminates, right? So you put something in your eye and it illuminates your body, right? He said, if your eyes are good, okay, your whole body will be full of what? Light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of what? Darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, that's all you're doing, letting in, how great is that darkness? Okay, then he goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Okay, so you need to make up your mind. And what Jesus tells his folks is pay attention to this, how this process, because again, you're having a great day, right? You just had some awesome time with Jesus. Your mind is on the things of God. You're enjoying the fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control, etc. It's awesome. Next thing you know, uh, based on something that you saw, maybe you're driving down the road and you're here in Vegas and you saw a billboard. And instead of instantly going, no spider, dead spider, bad spider, and making a decision, turn my head, spider, start thinking about the things of Jesus, you didn't, and you watched it the whole way. So how did that thought get into your brain? Your eyes. Do you think it's by chance in these last days when our moral society, the fabric of society is going down the tubes, okay, that uh, the enemy has grabbed control of the media? And everything's gone visual now. I got a theory. He who controls the eyes controls their behavior. I told people this before. Pastor Bill, I just, I'm having so much hard time. I, I just can't stop thinking uh, these lustful thoughts and where are they coming from and all this. I said, well, okay, I've got one thing. It's not going to get rid of all of it, but I'll just throw out a number. I think about as high as 80%. If you get rid of one thing, 80% of your temptation will go down. It's called TV. Right? What are you allowing into your eyes? Hey, hey, give it up, man. Long gone are the shows like Leave It to Beaver. Okay? Gunsmoke is gone. It ain't coming back, unfortunately. Okay? We don't have programs like that anymore. Right? What do we have? Trash, filth, anti-Christian, lustful, rotten stuff. So a Christian, it's like it's like self-torture. You know, yes, I want to, we had a great Bible study in James. We actually even broke down the process of sin and how it enters into us. And, and so we can understand it, not be deceived, kill the spider and walk in victory and be that holy advertisement for Jesus. Hey, let's sit down now and watch four hours of filth. And you wonder why all your barrage with, ah, it's self-torment. Shut it off. Okay. The first way it gets into your brain and starts to activate the spider is through your eyes. Now, the second one is through the ears. Job makes this interesting comment. Job chapter 12, verse 11. Is it not the task of the ear to discriminate between wise and unwise words? Just as the mouth distinguishes between desirable and undesirable food, right? Makes sense. Somebody tries to force feed you chicken. What do you do? 
That's undesirable. You made a choice. You made the right choice, obviously. You got it out of your mouth. And so he says, hey, just as the mouth can distinguish good, bad, he says the same thing with your ears. Okay? Now, I don't think this is my chance. The Bible talks about two things uh, can happen and to get temptation into your mind to activate the spider. Your ears one, or your eyes one, but ears are number two. Now, it could be an ungodly conversation, right? Somebody could be coming along, and then they say something that's not good. Well, what does that do? That enters your ear, which then enters your what? Your mind, and then you start thinking on it, and then if you don't stop it and kill the spider, here it goes. It influenced you. It started with the ear. Uh, it could be something, a gossip. It could just be a, just a... a, a bad joke or something, something just something ungodly, something that's not Christ-like, okay? Uh, but here's the big hot topic. He's not only got control of the media for the eyes, he also has control of the music. And much of the music today, listen, it's not just rock and roll or heavy metal, okay? It's all genre of music. Break it down. I don't, you don't have to get into some conspiracy theory or nothing like that. Let's break it down for what it is. Most music today... My synopsis is this. It's sin put to a beat. Right? Pick a genre. Country. Oh, country's good. That's American. Really? What are you talking about? Going out there in your truck and getting drunk and committing fornication, divorcing your... Yeah! I always have a simple rule, whether it comes to... People go, I always want to break it down. Well, it really doesn't say in the Bible that you... This is a gray area. (laughs) Let's break it down, shall we? Okay? Jesus Christ... Our Lord and Savior, He who is holy, holy, holy. He's coming to your house tonight, okay? And He's coming for supper. You know what I'm saying? And so, what you're going to do uh, is, as soon as He comes over for supper, you're still getting ready. You know, got about 15 minutes. So, you're going to ask Him to sit down at, uh, you know, inside the living room there. And what you're going to do is, you're going to turn on uh, some uh, secular uh, pop music. You know, just kind of, you know, grind to and get, get, you know, get it going and... No, I know. No, let's put that country music on. Maybe Jesus is a country music fan. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, he likes that stuff. And and uh, and he's going to be, you know, yeah, this is awesome, man. Drinking beer and doing stuff. And uh, no, maybe he is more into metal. I don't know. Put some metal on it. Whatever. He like that. You know, Satan, Satan. If Jesus came to your house for supper, what kind of music would you put on? Number two, after you eat your incredible dinner, which better be beef uh with jesus okay hey fatted calf that's my verse um uh you say hey jesus let's sit down let's watch a movie you know what? Uh, i tell you what let's watch uh let's watch uh, let me step on some toes let's watch twilight let's watch a movie about vampires wouldn't it be good no hey the late we all know the latest craze zombies let's watch some sort of zombie apocalypse or something you know people getting eating each other and heads off jesus that good you see that it's all over. Now the bombshell is this. Obviously, I'm using sarcasm, but there is a truth to this. Did you know that God is with us wherever we go? And if you wouldn't listen to that filth when He came to your house for supper, and you wouldn't put that program on after supper, why are you listening to it right now? Because He is with you wherever you go, and He is watching and listening to everything. Isn't that a bombshell? Let me translate for you what James is saying. Don't be deceived. Are you kidding me? This is serious stuff. 
Yes, God, I want to be that holy advertisement for you. I want to be a great Christian for you. And when I'm out there in the world, I not only want to be that joyful example for you. Uh, I want to be that holy example for you. And then it lasts five minutes. Because you go home. In fact, even before you got home, you flipped on the music and it started putting sin in your brain. And you activated the spider. Whose fault was that? What's James says? Don't do it. Don't blame other people. Don't blame God. You did it. Shut it off. Okay, so that's what's going on. How does it appeal to us? Okay, uh, is, a, is another one. How does that appeal? Okay, very quickly, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. How does it appeal to us? It's the same process that he used at the fall of mankind. Okay, Genesis chapter 3 and uh, verse 6. And devil coming to uh, Eve. And it says this, he tempted her, he lied, he got her to doubt God, he flat out called to God a liar, saying that, no, no, you're not going to die, he's holding something back from you. Okay, and the verse 6 says this, now when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was uh, good for food, her flesh, she was thinking about her flesh, not God, and pleasing to the eye, ooh, this looks awesome, uh, and desirable for gaining wisdom, what'd she do? So what is the three-prong attack that Satan used to get Eve? How did he appeal this to her? It's lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Okay? And did you know he uses the same tactics today? I had an instructor that says, listen, the devil is obviously very smart. Obviously much more smarter than us. Okay? But he doesn't have to be to a certain extent. He takes the same old methodology and he just repackages it. Okay? And sells it to the next generation who doesn't know any better. But it's the same tactic that he uses. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. This is why 1 John 2.16 says this. For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure. What's that? Genesis 3. Lust of the flesh. For the lust of everything we see. That's the lust of the eye. And pride in our possessions. What's that? The pride of life. Exact same three tactics Back in Genesis 3, 1 John reiterates, he says this, these are not from the Father, they are from the evil world, okay? So you need to understand how he's going to come at you, okay? He says, these are not from God. Anytime that you are tempted in your brain, through your eyes, through your ears, one of these three inputs, and if this thought goes to your brain, uh, uh, your mind, this is all about physical pleasure, this is all about being, oh, I gotta have it, I gotta have it, you know, things you see, or hey man, if I do this, I'll be the smartest guy on the planet. The pro- that's not from God. Okay? He said that's how he tries to appeal with this. Now, James chapter 4, go ahead and turn there real quick, let's advance. This is why he says, you, don't be deceived, man. You need to understand how this process works. You need to understand what you're up against. James chapter 4. Okay, I think this is why he lays this online. He uses some serious strong words on this. Uh, James chapter 4, uh, starting with verse 4. And uh, he talks about this. Listen to this. He says, you adulterous people. Okay? And he says this. Don't you know that friendship with the what? The world, what it, how did First John define it? That which is lust, getting you to lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything you see, and the pride in your possessions. He says, don't you realize that friendship with that, giving in to that, living for nothing but that? He says, what's it say? Is what? Hatred towards God. What he's saying is, listen, you guys are committing spiritual fornication. You're selling your souls out. The old, uh, I think King James uses an even more uh, stinging word, harlotry. You're being a harlot. 
You sold yourself out. How could you, you adulterous people, what, you, how could you live for nothing but that? He says, you're acting like you don't love God. You're acting like you what? I hate you. First John also says the same thing. Do not love this world nor the things of this world. Because if you do, God sees it all. The love of the Father is not in you. And so James says, you're acting like you're adulterous. He says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes now what? Enemy of God. Whoa. Don't be deceived. We, listen, if God, if anybody's still sucking air today. Okay, if you're not sure, just go like this. And if you feel movement on your hand, you're sucking air. Okay. And praise God you are. Okay. Uh, but guess what? If you're still here, that means God still has a purpose for you as a born again Christian. Isn't that good news? Because if your purpose was done, guess where you're going? To heaven. Okay. So you're still here. So that means God's got a purpose for you. And he's done good. Th- uh, he's prepared in advance good works for each Christian to do. Ephesians 2.10. And part of that is to be a advertisement for him. A good one. First test, a joyful Christian is an awesome one. The second one is a holy Christian is an awesome witness. Don't be deceived. It's not just, yeah, I've just been backsliding lately and, and said, it'll swing around one day or whatever. You adulterous people, what are you doing? You're supposed to be an advertisement for God who is holy, who is holy, who is holy. And one day he's going to come and he's going to establish a holy, holy heaven and holy, holy heaven uh, universe. And it's all going to be brand new. It's going to be awesome. And what are you doing? You're acting like an enemy of God. You're acting like you hate God. You're giving people the impression that no, this world, the sinful, wicked one, is better than the world to come. And we wonder why people don't respond to Jesus. Because we live just like them. James says, don't be deceived. This is what's on the line. And certainly don't go back and blame somebody else because then you'll never deal with the spider. Okay? Don't be deceived. Okay, so that's that issue. Uh, dealing with that uh, how does he attack us well i think just real quickly when we're most vulnerable and i'll just put these up there real quick in the scripture uh it talks about when you're alone you better be careful when you're alone when jesus in matthew chapter 4 we don't have time to turn there when he was tempted the devil he, there was all kinds of people around jesus no he was alone okay and i'm telling you folks what i've learned also is that's what the enemy does it's like it's like in those uh, nature uh uh channels you know uh the lion what's he do he tries to get at least one of them to peel away from the herd why because when they're alone guess what easy prey bang pounces on and he'll do the same thing with us as christians you better be careful when you're alone okay the second thing is he'll do it right before a spiritual success okay i many times i have interns when they'll uh preach for me or do it's kind of it's a big opportunity that's a privilege right i'll tell them you better watch it coming and you better watch it going because he'll get you two different ways. He'll try to mess you up because he knows what's coming. That you have an opportunity to proclaim the word of God and we're trusting that God will use you and that by his spirit he'll bear much fruit. That's awesome. That's what it's supposed to be about. He's going to try to mess you up as you get into that. Okay, But he's also going to try to mess with you after a spiritual success. And take that great spiritual success and turn it into pride or something like that. Very quickly, I see two spiritual examples. Back to the temptation of Jesus Christ when that was going on. Okay, it was before he was going to the cross. And so if Satan, the timing of it is impeccable. If he could have got, which it wasn't going to happen, but if he could have got Jesus to sin, then it would have ruined the spiritual success that was coming, him dying on the cross. Right? Same thing with us. 
He'll try to mess you up right before. Afterwards, this happened to Peter, right? Peter, he was the only apostle who got the right answer. Who do you say that I am? Well, you are the Christ, the one to come. He got the right answer. All those other disciples didn't get it. (laughs) Peter, you're awesome. You're the rock on this foundation, right? I'm going to build my church, this profession, not the Catholic church, and all this stuff. That's right. And then right after that, if you keep reading, next thing you know, right after that spiritual success, what happens to Peter? Jesus says he's getting ready, he's going to die, right? And which is the good thing, the thing he came to do. And he rebukes Jesus. Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And what's Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And so you see Peter, he had this spiritual success, this high moment. Woo! Bang! And he comes crashing down. I don't think it's by chance. Be careful. When God starts to use you, the enemy will start to try to mess it up. He'll get you coming. He'll get you going. Uh, He'll also get you not when you're just most vulnerable. He'll get you when you're least resistant. And one of the times that you're least resistant is when you're always disobedient. Right? Because you're just off kilter. We use phrases like backsliding, whatever. Let me give you an analogy. Uh, It's, uh, you're always going to, if you came across a hornet's nest, what's the last thing you want to do? Take a stick and beat that thing. Man, I did that one time and I don't have time to go into that. Maybe later we'll talk about that exciting adventure. It was very motivating. <laughs> it's what a dummy, right? But I think far reminds me of no. That's right. Okay. But if you beat the thing, what's going to happen? You're going to get stung, right? And then, but if you leave it alone, it'll die down, whatever. But if you can imagine somebody that not only went through that once, and I only did it once, so just so you know, but this is an analogy. Uh, but if you keep beating that thing, and you keep, I mean, you're still getting stung, but you keep beating that thing. What's going to happen to you? You're going to swell up like an orange, right? And uh, it's just, what? And then, can you imagine somebody sitting there still beating the hornet's nest going, mm-hmm. I'm so tired of getting stung by hornets. I wish it would stop. Maybe someday, if I could only stop being stung by these hornets, I can't stand this anymore. What happened to the day when I didn't get stung by hornets? This is horrible. If there's only a way out. And that's what I think Christians do. We'll sit there. We don't pay attention to our eyes, our ears. We don't, we're deceived. We pay no attention to the spider, how to deal with it, how to kill it. Back up the train, deal with your brain. And we're sitting there sending up a storm, backsliding. I wish it would stop. I wish it would. Hey, how about stop smacking on the hornet's nest? That's a good step. What do you think? Right? And the same thing when we're least resistant is when we're always disobedient. Now, another one that we're doing is when you get physically wiped out. The scripture talks about Jesus. He was a little busy. Did you notice that? And it said that the, he took time to get away. And I've learned that in ministry. Sometimes you've got to pay attention to your body. Sometimes it's saying you need to get some rest. Because when you're wiped out, the enemy comes in and wants to tempt you big time. Okay? Which leads to the next one is when you're bored. Okay? I, I think there's actually a blessing in the curse, if you will, that after Adam and Eve sinned, the curse on the man was, guess what you get to do now, buddy? You get to work. And if you think about it, that's kind of a mixed blessing to a certain extent because when you're working you don't have as much time to sit around and go hmm now what would I like to do right but when you got too much time on your hands what happens okay he'll actually he'll come and get you now and the next way is you need to understand this will never stop okay whenever he can he's going to do it the spider is always there to try to get you and this is what is in 1 Peter 5 8 it says uh, you know be careful watch out for the attacks of the devil he, the enemy, he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour, right? The Greek says this, be of sober mind, be watchful. Your adversary, who's a slander, namely the devil, as a lion roaring and fierce hungry, is constantly walking about, the Greek says, and is always seeking somebody to devour. Notice the verbiage that's in there. 
He's constantly, he's always, that means he doesn't stop. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And I, I, I've shared the story before in the Wednesday night studies, but I remember a, a particular a, a Christian, and I remember it being in his truck, and he was just, just bombarded with temptation and stuff like that, and he was just getting to the point where he was starting to crack, he was getting frustrated. And I remember him sitting there and just pounding on the, on the, 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 the driver's wheel, and just, I just wish it would stop, I just wish it would stop, I just wish it would stop. And I remember sitting there, dude, it's never going to stop. Guys can talk to guys like that. You know, I sit here like, mm, let me cry on my shoulder. It's just, I'm sorry. Ain't happening between guys most of the time. You know, hopefully. But anyway, so I say, dude, it's never going to stop. And as long as you think it's going to stop, the enemy's already got you. You need to gird up the loins of your mind, the scripture says. You need to be of sober mind, Peter says. You need to deal with it. We're in a battle on three fronts every single day. It's going to be this way until we get to go home. Just deal with it. Don't think that there's going to come this plateau where it's never going to not be a battle. Just understand it's always going to be that way. That's one of the blessings of heaven. It's finally done. But until then, stand firm. Put on the armor of God. Understand how this baby works. And you can experience much more victory. Don't be deceived. Okay? Anyway, so but then Lord willing, next time I want to get into that's more of all what we talked about is, if you will, a defense. Okay, a defense against temptation. Lord willing, next week I want to talk about, all right, let's start talking about that victory. How do I put that victory into place? And then we're going to deal with uh, an offense position. Okay, but I want to close with, this is one of my favorite, favorite um, analogies of what uh, we are dealing with every single day. And how the enemy will use the old us against us to kill us. Okay, and then we'll close. It's, it's, uh, uh, and this is, again, I think what Jim said, don't be deceived. This is how serious it is. And it's from Paul Harvey, and he tells how an Eskimo kills a wolf. And it's true. Listen to this. Here's, here's how he kills a wolf. Here's how an Eskimo goes about it. He coats his knife blade with blood, and then he lets it freeze. And then he adds another coat of blood and lets that freeze. And then another, and then another, and then another. And as each coat freezes, he adds another smear of blood until the blade is hidden deep between a substantial thickness of frozen blood. Like a frozen blood popsicle, just a big old thing around it, okay? Then he buries the knife in the ground, blade up in the frozen tundra. And the wolf, obviously, eventually will come by and smell the scent of fresh blood and he starts to lick it. And then he licks it more and more. And then he continues to lick it feverishly until the blade is bare. But he keeps on licking it harder and harder. Because of the cold, he never notices the pain of the blade on his own tongue. And his craving for the taste of blood is so great, he doesn't realize that his thirst now is being satisfied by his own blade. And he will actually lick the blade till he bleeds to death, swallowing his own life. Isn't that wild? If I could encapsulate what James is saying here, this first part pulling us back to verse 15, don't be deceived. Stop being deceived. Christian is never going to stop until we get to heaven. But God doesn't leave you hanging high and dry. You need to understand how the process works. You're in a war. Okay, deal with it. God's given you what you need. Back up the train. It starts in your mind. Pay attention to what goes in your mind. Be honest. What are you allowing in your ears and your eyes? He's out to get you. This is serious. Don't get tricked into uh, 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 licking and destroying yourself. 
Okay? That's how serious it is. The next thing we're going to see, again, is, all right, how do you win over it? How do you win over it? How does that victory take place? We'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full 
the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, They certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.